I heard two. The righteous man shall live by faith. If that's how, it, is there any righteous men here? And men meaning humans, humankind. Okay, there's only five that I counted, maybe six. So maybe we should do a different type of message this morning. Since living by faith is our new way to live in this new kingdom we've been born into, then we must, it is an absolute requirement that we have some understanding of what faith is and how it functions. And because of the situation we're in now as a nation and as a planet, it is even more critical that we are learning to live by faith. Faith is simply having trust and confidence in God. It is not having faith and uh, confidence in my confession, my own beliefs, my works, or anything of, of what I can produce. It is simply having trust and confidence in God. And if we have trust and confidence in God, then we are going to trust and have confidence in what God says and tells us to do. And true faith is obedience. Romans 1 verse 5 says, this is the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. That's what he said. That's what grace and his apostleship among the Gentiles is to bring about the obedience of faith. What is obedience? Obedience is a corresponding action. It is a response. It is doing. Faith is a verb. Now, the noun form of faith is used, and that's not what we're talking about. But that would be used more like, what faith are you of? Well, I'm of the Christian faith, using that faith as a noun, or uh, the Muslim faith, or whatever, whatever it, it might be. But we're talking about living by faith, which is a verb, which is action. If there's no action, no corresponding, no obedience, there's no faith. And I've heard it for however many years, 33 years that I've been in ministry, and I used to believe it at one time, that people would say, I'm standing in faith, and they're just confessing and confessing and speaking, but no action. That's not faith. That's not a little faith. It's not, it's not any faith. That's not faith at all. And so today I want to speak a little bit, we'll go in depth maybe later next week or something, about hope and faith, how hope and faith work together. Many Christians use, where, where they're really in hope, and, and thinking they're in faith. And there's a huge difference. Je I love the way Jesus put it. I say this all of the time. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. Bread there meaning natural. So man shall not live by the natural alone. What does that mean? If it's raining, I get out of the rain. I don't need God to tell me to get out of the rain. If I'm hungry... I eat. I don't need God to speak specifically to me. He designed my body for that. If I'm crossing the street and a truck is flying down the road, I don't. I stop or I run like heck. I don't need to hear from God. That's what? Living by the natural. So he said, he didn't say, uh, in other words, don't live by the natural. He said, don't live it by it alone, exclusively. But how are we to live? Live by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. That's how we are to live. Now, if we're to live by every word that proceeds from God's mouth, what does that pre-assume? We know what he's saying or has said. He's written many things down for us in this wonderful book we call the Bible or scriptures. Not everything in here did God say, but there are things in here God did say and this is for all people, in all places, at all times. But this book misses a lot of things like, who am I to marry? Where am I to live? What am I to do for a job? What, where do I attend? What congregation do I attend? All of these different things. There's, there's hundreds, if not thousands of different things. The Bible doesn't address, but it gives us principles. And God has a lot to say. If we're going to have a personal relationship with God, then he's got uh, something to say about who we marry, where we live, and what we do for a living, and everything else in our life. 
I don't need to pray and ask God to brush my teeth. But he may have something to say about the toothpaste I use. If we're listening. Or wash my hair or uh, wash my body. But he may have something to say about the products I'm using. Or the food I eat. I can tell you right now, he's going to have something to say about that. Because he's designed our body to function with certain foods. And I'm speaking to myself, not to you. You just get to listen. (laughs) So faith is living by every word God speaks. Faith is obedience. By placing our trust and confidence in God. Knowing that he has our best interest at heart. The Bible tells us that faith works how? By love. The more we are into a loving, intimate relationship with the Lord, that when God speaks, we respond to him regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what people think, regardless about what I think. And I'm talking about personally. When God speaks to me to do stuff like I want you to run for office, he's not real concerned about how I think about that. I'm not saying he's not at all. But what does he want? He wants me to obey him because I trust him, even though I may not want to do it. And too many Christians wait around until they feel like they want to do it before they do it. No, we just need it. Especially now, because we're in war. And when God speaks, just like a commander in a war thing, you don't have time to argue sometimes. You don't have the time. You've got to respond. And we have to be able to know how God is communicating to us. So faith obeys. It does not just speak with no action. Faith responds in obedience to God. What was the first, what did the serpent try to do with Eve? Let me give you an example. I'm going to pick on somebody here. I'll pick on Sarah because I've known her for a long, long time. (laughs) If somebody comes along and starts telling me some things about Sarah that are in a negative context, what does that have a potential to do? It has a potential to affect me and my view of Sarah. And if my view of Sarah now is depleting, then I'm going to have trouble trusting what she says. This is what the enemy does. You know how it says uh, Satan is the accuser of the brethren? This is what he does. Do you know how he does it now? He doesn't do it himself. He works on people, especially loved ones and people in the church, to get them to accuse you. That's how he does it. What did he do in the garden? He came up and he started to accuse God to Eve. God's holding out on you. He knows that if you eat this, you're going to be just like him. He starts character assassination without it looking so obvious. And gets us to start thinking, oh, God's holding out. Oh, God doesn't really care about us. God doesn't really love us. Look at what we're going through. God, if you cared, I wouldn't be going through. How many times have any of us said any of these? Well, I'm going to tell you, I've done it a lot over the years. And and if the enemy can get us to begin to believe God is not who he says he is, what's that going to do? It's going to sever our trust and confidence in him. We're not going to trust him. We're just not. And that would affect my trust. Now, I know her enough to know that if you come to me and tell me some things about her, I can tell you right now it's either a lie or it's true. Same thing with my wife, because I know them. That's why our knowing the Lord intimately and personally, not knowing it through our parents, our grandparents or from our pastor or, you know, anything else. We, I know the Lord. You're, you're not. No, that's not who he is. Sorry. Do you know if you just know the character of God, there's many things you don't even have to pray about? I already know him. I already know his character and who he is to me. I don't have to ask him about it, talk to him. I just know it. It, You know, it's like Renee and I have been married 39 years, but we've been together uh, for like 80 years or something like that. I can't remember. Uh, 40 something. 43 is it maybe? I don't know. Two something. When you get to know somebody, and you don't even have to know somebody that well, but you kind of know sometimes what's on their mind without even having a conversation. 
or uh, something comes up and it's like, I know what you're thinking. You know what I'm saying? And you can have that with a friend or with, you just know that. Well, put your place in, think about how God knows that. You see, sometimes we say, well, things in the future, God has told us things in the future, not that he's necessarily set it up that way all of the time. He knows human nature and what's going to happen. Does that make any sense? Because he knows what we think, how we think. He knows the decisions I'm going to make way before I, know, I make them. And he still gives us the option. He knew Judas was going to do what Judas was going to do. Jesus knew it too. But Judas is never going to be able to stand before God and say, well, you didn't give me a choice or an option or an opportunity. No, you had your opportunity. That's what you did with it. You see. I don't know why I got off on that. But but the enemy wants to sever any trust and confidence in God that we might have. And he uses other people to do it. He doesn't just come to you, you know, dressed up with a, you know, Horns and a pitchfork and a red suit and with a long pointy tail. That's not how he came to Jesus in the temptation where it says Satan tempted him. He did it the exact same way he does it to us with thoughts. Because the battlefield's right here. He comes with these thoughts and it's what are we going to do? Or, because that's why the Bible says we've got to renew our minds on the word. The battlefield begins right here. What are we going to think about? What are we going to place our, our thoughts on? That's why knowing the word more, knowing God's character more. So when these things come, we catch it faster and faster. I remember it was it was uh, God, uh, this was stark to me. In my own personal life, with these thoughts and thought life, it's like sometimes it took me weeks, months and a long time to even realize what was happening. Then I noticed the time as I learned about God, I got more into the word. I understood the word. It, the time shortened it, to weeks, to days. Now it's then it went to hours. Now it's like seconds. It's a discipline that you can. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. And sometimes I don't make you know mistakes with that. But it, it can be faster and faster because you start recognizing God's character because his character and his voice match. You see. Any one of us can have stellar character, but we also could lie sometimes, right? We could say something that may be not true. God can't do that. It's impossible for God to lie, right? Scripture tells us that, but even just knowing him, we don't even need Scripture to tell us that. Because God can't. It's, it's impossible. His character and his words and his action line up. It's completely perfect. Same way with Christ Jesus. So the more you get, I hope this is making sense, the more you get to know God, the more you can start quickly, that's not even right. That's not, that's not the voice of my dad. My dad doesn't act like that, say that, because it doesn't match his character. All right. Hebrews 11.1, 1, I'm going to touch on this fairly quickly and then come back to some other and give some practical illustrations. Hebrews 11, verse 1. While you're doing that, I'm going to go for a drink. Okay. Verse 1, Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. So let's just stick with verse 1. Let me say this again. Faith is the assurance. That's a cool word, isn't it? When you're talking about faith. Faith is assurance. You know what another word for assurance is? What does your Bible say? Confidence. What else? Substance. Evidence. It's substance. Faith has substance to it. We don't just say uh, they're a Bible, but there's no substance to it. If I say a Bible, it's got substance. It proves like this is it. This is the Bible. That's how sure faith is. Faith is not just some concept floating around in the air that we try to grab and hold on to and believe. That's not what faith is. Faith actually has substance to it. That's what the Bible says. Faith is substance. 
Then what? Of things hoped for. Faith has substance to what is hoped for. It is the conviction or evidence of things we can't see. Have you ever dissected just this? Yeah. So it uses faith and hope. Now let's just be real and honest about this. We all have hopes. What is hope? What tense is hope? It's future. I don't hope for a black Harley shirt if I already have one and I'm wearing it. That's not hope. I got it. It's not even faith because I've got it. So hope is future. Faith isn't future. Hope is future. Faith is right now. It's present tense. It's what are we doing in response to what God has given us said is going to happen in the future? Whether that future is one minute away or 50 years away, it's still future. How are we responding? So it says faith is the assurance. It's actually substance of things hoped for. For the conviction or the evidence. The evidence of what? Faith, real biblical faith, is evidence that we have what we're hoping for. It's proof. But God has a lot to say about what we're hoping for. Because the hope is not our hope. It's what God has said. I have hope I'm going to have, I'm going to be with God for eternity. That's my hope. Now, when we sometimes talk about hope in the human context, in English, it's almost like, oh, I wish. I want to. No, when it, when it is initiated by God, just like when God came to Abraham and Sarah and said, you are going to have a son and that son's coming from Sarah. Did they have it? No. But now they have hope because that hope is grounded in somebody. Not something. It's grounded in God. God promised that He gave a word. So that hope now is future. And we know now it was 25 years in the future. But they had to respond. Not just believe. I just believe and receive. I just believe and receive. No, that's not faith. They had to have the what? An act of intimacy. Because she wasn't getting pregnant like Mary got pregnant. This was a natural pregnancy. So what's faith when you're 90 years old? There had to be physical intimacy. My wife has helped me clean up these words, by the way. Just want to let you know that. But we're all adults because sometimes I forget and there might be kids or young people and it's like... They had to have sex. No, I'm <laughs> So here's by faith for them. They, by faith, were physically intimate for 25 more years. They weren't just. Dear Lord. <laughs> My point is faith is obedient actions. It's not confession. We, we, we have been, and I think this is a huge problem, we have gotten trapped in the confessing and not acting. And we wonder why we don't have the results. That God has promised. I want to talk a little bit more and give you some more illustration. So this does not, this is not a perfect illustration, but when we buy a, a motor vehicle 
in the state of Missouri, we get a title in the mail. Right? Comes to us. Whether you've got to lean on it or not now, you get possession of the title. So let's just say this is the title to my motorcycle. When God speaks, you're not getting this. Matter of fact, look at it from a distance. When, when God speaks, I'll just use my motorcycle as a, as a goofy example, okay? Joe, I'm going to give you a motorcycle. Did he say when? He didn't say it was going to be this afternoon, this month, this year. He just said it. But when he speaks and it came from God, it's like he just issued the title to me. Because under the state of Missouri, when you have a title and it's got your name on it and that vehicle with that VIN number, it's yours. And it'll hold up in any court of law. You know what it is? It's evidence and it's substance that you have what you cannot see yet. Because if I hold up my title of my motorcycle, is the title of my motorcycle? What is it? It's evidence. It's proof that I have what was promised to me. And it'll hold up in a court of law. And when God speaks and I act on what he has said, then it is proof, substance, and evidence in the court that Satan and all his demons have to abide by that says it is mine. And the only way and the only person that can cause any interference or that loss is now me. Because God promised it. Now, I'm talking about a genuine word from God, not a, you know, I want this and I really think God's saying it. No, you know, God spoke. That's why it's so important to know how he communicates to us, recognizing his voice. The easiest way is to start here because the Holy Spirit wrote this and there's promises already in here. So it's evidence and proof of things what hoped for. Now, I could, and I did, this actually happened. I've told this story many times. When I had my motorcycle shop, the last motorcycle I kept for myself, I didn't have a title. I was waiting for the title, but the bike was stolen, and the title never showed up, but three cops did, and they wanted the bike back, and I went 21 years without a motorcycle. All right, that's almost death to me. But I prayed, and I just said, Lord, I'd love to have a motorcycle again sometime. I'm just going to give it to your hands. There was a couple times Renee goes, if you want one, just go get one. I, don't, I didn't want to do that. You know what I'm saying? I just had that conviction. But God never told me he was going to give me one. So I can't start naming it and claiming it and, you know, hallelujah, dancing and fast, all this stuff, because I've never said anything. Until one day, all of a sudden, I see a pastor friend of mine put his, his, his wife's motorcycle on Facebook. When I got onto Facebook, boom, it was right there. And I was like, man, it just hit my heart. Hey, that's pretty nice. I messaged him. He goes, Joe, if you want it, I'll sell it to you for this. Renee comes home. I said, hey, I want you to show you a friend of mine, you know, put his, she goes, well, that's, that's a good price. That was it. That's all I had to hear. That was a good price. <laughs> I'm just telling you that's God was like, a, like, you know, speaking now he's community. He didn't say get one. He's now communicating. My wife is in agreement. We've got some mo- movement here. I start looking long story short. I end up with one. And I bought it with just the interest money on an investment. I got, an, I got a, the interest check in the mail, and it was just enough. Actually, it was more than what I was wanting to spend. But she said, go get that other one, and I, and I did. But it's got, exactly. And it's, got, it's, it's how God is communicating and leading. But it's when God says it, leads, communicates to it, now I have hope. That's biblical hope. Biblical hope is founded on what God says, not on what I want. Now, if it's something I want, and then he says, I'm going to get it for you, now it's God breathe. You see what I'm saying? We can talk, talk to God and ask God for anything we want. But he's not obligated to give us anything we want. Only what he promises to us. Is this making sense? So then it's something in the future. My motorcycle was yet in the future. What's faith? Get practical. 
Get practical on this. What is faith? In this instance, that now I'm, I am set in my heart, Renee's in agreement, that God wants, it's okay if I get a motorcycle. So what's faith? I'm going to go look for one. I'm going to get the paper out. I'm going to look on Facebook Marketplace. I'm going to go to shops. I'm going to start, I'm putting my, that's faith. I'm going to go look. And you know what I'm doing the whole time? Listening. Because I had in my heart, I was just going to get some old junker that I could, because I can work on it. And I'm so glad I didn't. And I found one that I didn't even want. Wasn't looking for. Had 140 miles on it. They dropped it two grand. The exact amount of money that I had was my absolute. I mentioned to Renee, show her. Actually, she didn't even see it. I showed her a picture. She goes, you need to get that one. You see what I'm saying? It's you, you practically start doing it and let God lead and guide. That's. Standing by faith, because you're not literally standing there, you're moving. You know, in the military, we learn this term, stand fast. I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, how do you do that? Seriously, stand fast. I mean, is it fast getting to stand? Like, hurry up and stand, like, quick? I, you know, I was young. I was trying to figure that statement out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Among many other things in basic training. <laughs> trying to figure out. Okay, so faith is present. God speaks for something in the future. Now I have hope for that. It's like it's like this. We all. Uh, how many of you have hope that you're going to be with God forever, heaven? So what are you doing today about that? But what is the faith? What's that? Okay, let me ask you this. Does that reality change the way we're living today? Because the way we're living today, or at least the pursuit is really proving out what we really believe. Isn't that what James says? I'll show you my faith by my actions, by my works. I'll show you that I believe. If you really believe this building was on fire right now, what would you do? Yeah, call the fire department and get out of here. That's okay. So let me read this one more time. Ooh, man, I hit my Bible too. Well, faith is the substance of the things that are hoped for, that are expected at some point in the future. Faith is assurance. It's substance. It's real. It is the, of things hoped for. It is evidence, conviction of things that I cannot see right now. If I have sickness in my body. It is not a sin nor a lack of faith to say, I have a disease. I have a sickness. But God has already said, we don't have to, we should know, especially the people in this room, we should know God well enough to know and his word well enough to know at this point that it's not about whether God wants to heal you or not. He already said it. It is a finished work of the cross, Isaiah 53. Four, uh, 54, whatever verse it is there, 50-something. It's already a work of the cross. He took all of our sicknesses, all of our diseases. When Jesus came, what did He do? He healed all who were sick, diseased, and oppressed by the devil. If God's wanting people to be sick, then Jesus and the Father are working against each other. He's making them sick so He can have some business healing people. Now, that's ridiculous. It's already. It's not about that. It's about how... How do I get healed? I might be eating something that my body is reacting to and I'm clueless about it and God will reveal it. I'll give you an illustration. This actually happened. I went to the doctor. I have a, like sinus. I don't know what it is, but sometimes during hay fever time, you know, my nose gets stuffed up. Anybody have that? You have that, you know, reaction. And I hate that, especially when you're trying to sleep and you wake up like three hours later and you're not, you know, that kind of stuff. So I mentioned this to, uh, back then. I had a doctor, 
And, and I mentioned it, and he said, hey, I've got some uh, trial stuff, and they advertise this stuff on TV all the time. And he said, here, take this. That stuff worked uh, miracles-like. It was amazing. But after a period of time, and I didn't relate this right away, but a period of time went by, and um, there, was, I had, there was like two or three days there where I had vertigo really bad. Matter of fact, one day, I mean, like I had to lay down. Because every time I lifted up my head, it was spinning. It was really bad. And I actually got in my truck and drove to the doctor like that. I stopped twice on the way, opened up the door to throw up. That's how bad it was. I couldn't turn my head like this because it got worse. He gave me some stuff. Nothing helped. And I'm praying and asking the Lord, what is going on? Why do I have that? Do I have some kind of ear issue? What, what is really going on? The TV's on. I'm talking to the Lord. I'm walking in my living room, talking to the Lord, and this commercial for the very thing I've been using comes on. And if you watch any of these pharmaceutical stuff, there's a whole very, it'll cause you this, this, and this, and you'll eventually die if you keep using it. You know, all these things. And one of the side effects was vertigo. The Lord spoke. Boom. That's it. Stuff went in the trash, never used it. Vertigo went away. That's how God wanted to heal me. See, often what we've been teaching people to do is come up front, we'll lay hands on you for to, to be healed, and then you just keep your lifestyle. Keep eating the stuff you're eating, keep squirting the stuff up your nose that's causing the problem. No. We've got to find out what is it, what is it that's causing the sickness or disease. Maybe God does want to heal you just super, bam, just like that. Or maybe He wants you to, you've got to stop eating this. Start, start eating that. Or quit drinking this. Or whatever it might be. Stop using that product. He might have been trying to communicate that to me the whole time and I just ignored it or didn't, didn't grasp it. You see what I'm saying? He'll, that's how he leads and guides and speaks if we'll pay attention and ask and listen. But, but we've been so trained to be healed one way. Just get on the phone. Hey, pray in agreement with me. And that's fine, but one of us needs to be hearing from the Lord. Like, put the pie down, Chris. He's eating a piece. He's eating a piece of pie. I just had to do that. Sorry. <laughs> that key lime pie is. It, you're not leaving enough for Joe. So. <laughs> you know, along with that, I remember this story. I've mentioned it many times too. Uh, we we were praying for people. We had a couple people. Renee was up here praying, and Renee told me later. This lady that was just, she just had come and she came, you know, to the, she wasn't a member. She came up for prayer and she go, she mentioned to Renee, I've got this cough. I, this cough won't go away. Would you pray for me? Well, Renee tells me later she smelled like a chimney, which means she's a smoker. How about we start there with your cough? You want us to pray so your cough go away so you can continue to smoke? That's not how God works. Sorry. You see what I'm saying? It's not being, I'm just being fast and blunt. That's, you know. Like, it's like the old thing, right? You know, Doc, I keep hitting my hand with the hammer. You know, why does I have this pain? Stop it! I've been praying about it. I've been confessing that it stopped being painful. <laughs> That's how lunacy some of this stuff is in Christianity. It's, it's that bad. Okay, I'm going to wrap up. So just the last hour here, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Second Chronicles. This is not the last scripture. I'm wrapping up, but it's not the last scripture. So I didn't say it was the last scripture. Yeah, for that warning. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. You you could probably say it from heart because. Uh, you know, it, obviously it's a very old passage, right? But ever since 9-11 is when it, man, I've heard it. I, every prayer meeting I was at, every prayer meeting I went to, I heard Second Chronicles 7-14. It was used by everybody, different denominations. I saw it in social media, seven, Second Chronicles 7-14. And really, we should have taken at least a hint because of all of that that God was speaking to us. And I do believe God was speaking. I still think he's speaking to us. Second Chronicles 714. 
But let's take a, a, a look at this passage. My people who are called by my name. That's not everybody. It's a certain segment of, of people. If they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now, I don't want to be mean, but it comes naturally. <laughs> Reading this scripture, praying this scripture, prophesying this scripture, decreeing this scripture does absolutely nothing unless we respond and obey what is being said in this scripture. And too many of us, and I'm not just saying people in this room, Christianity, have that concept. Because, you know, when times are tough and we'll just, oh, God wants to heal our land and we'll, we'll say that. It kind of emotionally energizes the, 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 the crowd. Yes, praise God. Now, is that scripture true? It's absolutely 100% true. God said that he will forgive and he will heal. But there's preconditions. And those preconditions are not just praying that scripture or standing up and just reading it. Yay! We're believing God to do this. To do what? Forgive us and heal us. Well, are you humbling yourself? Are you turning from your wicked ways? Are we praying and seeking his face? If you don't know what that means, find out. Because he specifically says, seek my face. If we do those things, not as a country, as just his people that are called by his name, guess what he said he'll do? I will forgive you and I'll heal this land. But too many have been stuck in just praying this and saying this and confessing this and not living this. And we wonder, I'm just standing in both faith. No, you're not. Because faith responds. Do it. Turn from the wicked ways. You know lying's a wicked way. Deceiving is a wicked way. Not just, you know, the big sins. They're all wicked ways that God says all sin is a wicked way. You, what is turning from our wicked ways? It's repenting. Repenting is not just fighting against our sin and trying to overcome. Jesus overcame that sin on the cross. That's, this is how easy to overcome sin is. You turn from that, but you start you turn to him and start being obedient to him. And all of a sudden, what you'll find is that goes away. Amen. But what happens, so many Christians are fighting their sin and they're trying to overcome it. And they got these prayer chains going and counseling and all of this stuff. Jesus already defeated it. The only way it has a hold on us is when we submit to it, submit to somebody else. You start focusing on him. I, I've, I've proven that out in my life. That, that is how God does it. I, I was addicted to smoking pot, Steve. You know, you were a little upset earlier about buying marijuana. I just wanted you to know I didn't forget. I'm going to be holding that against you for a while. When I... When I, when I got born again, um, I was literally addicted to smoking pot, Renee could tell you. And, but the harder drugs, it was easier for me to, to you know, be free from. But here's the thing with smoking pot. I didn't want to quit. I didn't. I didn't want to. I knew it was wrong. Because now I've got the Spirit of God in me. I knew it was wrong. I'm convicted. But I was battling my want to versus the conviction. And here's what happened in just this area. I just kept focusing on the Lord. I would devour the scripture because I wanted to know him. That was really it. I, I wasn't trying to work anything righteousness or even try to get rid of my sin. I just wanted to know him. 
this guy that came and loved me. Apart from any of my actions or my behavior. I mean, that's, that was like so foreign to me. To be loved, you know, with drugs on me. He just loved me. Did, that wasn't an issue. I wanted to know that guy. So the more I got to know him, eventually, he was gone. Why? Because I turned towards him. I stopped battling the addiction. And I turned, and now I'm addicted here. You see... There is no vacuums in the spirit. Even, even in the natural, people know this, right? Most people that quit smoking, they also they start eating or take up some other addictive behavior. That's not so with the Lord. You know, even, even in Alcoholics Anonymous, you go through that. And Mark, he's not here today. But we had this discussion when he first came because he would use those terms. I'm an alcoholic. No, you're not. When God sets you free, you are not that any longer. And this had to be proven out in my life. Now, working in the motorcycle industry, you have opportunities for drugs and marijuana. And I had a guy, especially because my shop was in the northeast area of Kansas City, you know, the really nice part, right? And I had sometimes guys come that, hey, I'll trade you this for that. And I remember at first I didn't want to see it or smell it because it was still a little problem. But I remember one day in particular... This guy said, if you come out to my car, I want to show you something I've got. And I was like, I need to see this. And I walked and I saw it. And I knew inside now that wasn't even a temptation. It was gone. I was not tempted by what I saw, by what I smelled. I had to know that for me. I don't know why I went into all that. but Because when God sets you free, you are free indeed. That's how somebody, people that go through some horrible situations in life, when they're set free from that, they can get up in front of a group of people and talk about it because they're separated from it. It's not them anymore. It happened to them. Or maybe they did it. But they're so set free now, they're able to talk freely about that. It's the people that concern me that haven't been set free that are quiet and hiding. You wonder whether they're really set free or not. And they're dealing with inner demons and conscience. The blood of Christ is the only thing. Not morphine, not fentanyl. Blood of Christ is the only thing, and the Scripture tells us, that can clean our conscience completely free. And man, living with a clean conscience is a beautiful thing. Okay, so 2 Chronicles 7.14, My people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Do that, and I'll forgive and I'll heal. Okay, but just saying it is not. What does it do when somebody reads it, when we read it, when somebody gets up in a prayer meeting and reads Second Chronicles seven fourteen? What does that actually accomplish? Information. That's what it accomplishes. We are hearing from God what He's telling us to do through His Scripture. And if we have faith, trust, and confidence in Him, we're going to do it. Not just be excited because we read it or somebody read it and it sounds cool. You guys are quiet on me. One last scripture. I promise. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Somewhere around verse, yeah, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. They just fed the 5,000. Jesus got, told them, his disciples to get in the boat, meet them on the other side. He's going up to pray. Verse 23, after he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves. Please pay attention to every word in this passage. The boat was a long way away from Jesus. And the boat was what? Battered. The word battered there literally means tormented. They were tormented by the waves. For the wind was contrary. 
And in the fourth watch, that's between 3 and 6 a.m., of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, we are so familiar with this passage, but let's, let's look at it with some fresh eyes. Place yourself as one of the disciples. They just got done with an extraordinary miracle, feeding 5,000 people. Jesus puts them in a boat. They're used, most of them are used to being in a boat. Fishermen. They're on, this, on the lake, on the sea. And a storm rises. And it's, it's in the basically middle of the night. Somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. It's dark. The Scripture uses pretty strong words. The boat is being tormented by the wind and waves. The waves causing the, the wind causing the waves smashing against the boat. If you've ever been in a boat, especially a small boat, because these boats were not ships, they're small boats. First century fishing boats were very small. If you've ever been in a boat in the middle of a storm at night, it is scary. I've been in storms on small boats, not even in night during the day, but it was so dark it was like night, and it's scary. You know, the boat's being tossed and it's hard to stay on the straight, you know, going the straight distance. You're being tossed around and slamming down on you. And it's, it's a scary situation. And remember, Jesus was a long way away. You ever felt like sometimes you're in the middle of a storm and Jesus is a long way away? You ever felt like that? He's never a long way away, but feel like that? And then all of a sudden, in the midst of all of this that's going on, now think about this. They had to be tired. They had a long day. They've been in the boat all night to get to the other side. They had to have, be at least somewhat tired. And then they see a figure walking on the water in the middle of a storm. I don't know about you, but I might have had a hard time holding my water, if you know what I mean. Like, has anybody ever seen anybody walk on the water before or anything walking on the water? I haven't. So... So what's their response? They were terrified. I mean, think about all that's going on. Now relate it to the hour in which we live. With the chaos and the closing in and the losing of our freedoms and the battle and the war and the storm that we find ourselves in right now. And all of a sudden we see some figure. Let me just throw this in. They're going to be using AIs to show us some figure. But that's... And they're terrified. I don't blame them. Who can blame them? It's a ghost. I've never seen a ghost either. How did they know it was a ghost? It's a ghost. It was something. They're seeing something. Like these military pilots, they're seeing something up there that they're calling UFOs. Can you believe our government is even getting together and having discussions about this? I'm just going to tell you now, I do not believe that there's other life forms on other planets and UFOs, but I do believe in demons. Sure do. They cried out in fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them and says, take courage. I like those first two words. Take courage. Be courageous. It's me. It's I. Do not be afraid. Was it immediately light then? No. Still dark. Did the wind stop? Nope. Still windy. Which means what? The waves are still tormenting the boat. And Jesus is walking on the water. And now they're freaked out about that. And he says, it's me. It's me. Take courage. Don't be afraid. And what does Peter do? Jesus, get in the boat. It's scary out there. Let's get over to the other side. Hurry. Now, Peter says, Lord, if it's you. 
command me to come out on the water. This is beautiful. I know I've mentioned this scripture like so many times over the years. But it's one of my favorite scriptures to illustrate true faith. Because too many charismatics that I know, nobody in this room, but that I know, they would see Jesus doing something and they would say, well, we can do the works Jesus did, bless God. I just believe I can walk out on that water. I'm coming, Jesus. But what did Peter do? Let me paraphrase this. I can't walk on that water no matter what I do or say. But if you give me a word... I can do anything. When I hear a word from you and you tell me I can do it, I'm going to put my, I have trust and confidence in you, Jesus. If you tell me to stay in the boat, I'm staying in the boat. You tell me to come on out, I'm coming out because I want to do that. And what did Jesus say? Peter, you guys better fast and pray for another three days. This walking on water stuff is not as easy as it looks, I want to tell you. No, all he said was what? One word. Come. It's still storming. It's still dark. The boat's still being tossed all over the place from the winds. None of that stops. It wasn't a perfect environment. Well, when this thing happens, then I will obey. Well, when this situation comes out, then I'll go ahead and do it. No. Jesus wants a people. Father wants a people. That will trust Him, being obedient to Him, regardless of what's going on around us. We're not moved by the natural and what we see and hear and feel. We're only moved by His Word. We don't know what the rest of the disciples were doing, but I can tell you this. I know this for certain. They stayed in the boat. Jesus, if that's you... Command me. Give me a word. Because I know I can do it, but I've got to have a word from you. Come. What does Peter do? Puts one foot after the other and he begins to walk. And I will submit to you, he did not walk on water. He walked on the word. Because he had a word. Not a word he came up with. He didn't just start confessing it. He didn't just say, I believe, I believe, I believe, and just, you know, or start you know, rattling off in tongues. Give me a word. Come. He starts walking. Isn't that beautiful? That's how easy faith is. What did Peter do? I, he had hope that he can walk on that water just like Jesus. And then once Jesus gave him the word, now he is enabled. Grace was available. To be able to do what he could not do on his own. Absolutely beautiful. No word? You better stay in the boat. Word? Get out and walk. This, this life with Christ is really much simpler than we have made it to be. How do we know Peter had faith? He responded to Jesus' command. Come. That's how we know he had faith. He didn't he, the Bible doesn't even say he confessed it. doesn't say he prayed to God. didn't turn and say, hey guys, what do you think? I'm going to pull the audience over here. What do you think? Should I do what Jesus just told me to do? Now, let me add this one last thing to this. And this is, went on a lot longer than I intended. And, and this is a problem. It's a problem I had. It's a problem I've witnessed with other people. Faith. We know Peter had faith because he did what? He got out of the boat. And he began to walk in the midst of the storm. Now listen to this. The same faith that was required to get out of the boat and begin to walk is the same faith that's required to continue to walk. It's not that you just get it 
See, when I got my motorcycle, I ride it by faith. Meaning, sometimes, this has happened to me a number of times, the Lord says, drive your truck today. Okay, I'm not riding my motorcycle. I was riding my motorcycle the other day, going down the highway. And I'm an offensive driver on the motorcycle. You have to be. Offensive and defensive. Like, I'm going, and I see, I mean, trucks are doing this, and, and they're, you know, sliding over to, I'm like, dear Lord, I want to get off this highway. These people are crazy today. And the, I just had this sense, look at that car on your right, and it was a, an SUV. That vehicle is going to swing past two and cut you off. It, I didn't hear it like that, but that was my sense. I, as soon as I looked at her, she st- I saw her steering wheel. She was going to do it. And she locked on. Her eyes got big. And I looked at her and I just. See, if I wasn't, that's by faith. You see, it's the same faith required to receive it is the same faith required to continue in it. We started New Covenant 24 years ago, Tuesday. That did require faith, trust and confidence in him to begin it. But it takes faith every day, every hour to continue doing what he said to do. What happened with Peter? He got his focus off of what of Jesus and started looking at the wind and the circumstances and the situation and the vax and we can't go out and we have to put masks on and we got all this stuff. You see, the Lord told me don't participate. That means don't participate in all their goofiness. Not just the not closing down. So it takes as much faith to make the decision to not do it, but to stay in it. And Peter got out of faith there because what did Jesus say? What did he say to Peter? He told him to come. But what after that? When Peter started looking around, what happened? He began to sink. Immediately, Jesus reached in and saved him. They get back to the boat. What did Jesus tell him? Why did you doubt? What? You see, did the darkness... The wind, the waves, the rain, did that have anything to do with you walking on the water? Then it's not going to have anything to do with you staying out there. Look, God knows what's coming. But we're, we want to we want to just jump out of faith and start doing because we get panicky and anxiety. What did God tell us? With this whole pandemic thing, God told me, don't participate. So I didn't. And you have to leave the consequences up to him. I go to jail, I go to jail. New covenant shut down and shut down. I'm obeying God. Uh, he's the only one I'm standing before. At the last day, he's the only one. There's nobody else. Renee's not going to stand with me to defend me. You're not going to be there. It's me and him. And it's only it's what I did in response to what he's telling me to do. That's it. Our, our life is either hidden in his, him or, or it's not. So Peter got to looking around at the circumstances. His eyes off of Christ. The same faith required to begin is the same faith required to continue and to stay. Because the righteous man lives by faith. Doesn't start by faith. Doesn't end by faith. Lives by faith. Trusting and having confidence in God. You guys ready? (laughs) They're going to play. I want to pray. I want to have the microphones open. And we'll do kind of what we do at the beginning. We'll just close in the next 15 minutes or so. You leave whenever you have to leave. If you're hearing something from the Lord to prophesy, a scripture to read, please do that. A prayer to pray, please do that as well. Father, thank you for your word, Lord God. You sent your word to heal us, set us free in every area. And we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What a great and mighty God we serve. What a privilege and an honor to be your sons and your daughters in your house. You have lavishly poured out upon us such a great inheritance that begins with you. And we are privileged to have intimacy, koinonia, relationship and fellowship with the God of all creation. What an honor. I don't even have words for that, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you for seeking us out 
setting us free, continuing to set us free. Lord, thank you for being our navigator, sending the Holy Spirit to navigate, to teach, to comfort, to show us things to come, to remind us of all that Jesus said. The spirit of truth. God, I pray for this congregation. Matter of fact, I have a, a, a prayer I want to pray over you that I actually wrote down. I pray to God, give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That you would grow and mature, becoming more like Christ each day. That the eyes of your heart would be enlightened and your mind would be renewed. That you would have eyes to see and ears to hear with all discernment and understanding. And that you would attain to oneness with the Father. And may the shalom of the Lord God be upon you all. Amen. Amen.